The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. This is considered to be a monopoly price, and people don't like monopolistic prices. We want competitive prices. We think that Apple makes a killing on this 30% fee, and that this should go down, way, way down, 10%, 5%, even lower, perhaps. The way the commission proposes to do that is by saying, we open competition between app stores. And Apple, you are forced to allow other app stores in your iPhone ecosystem so that people can download apps through other app stores and they will compete with each other. And we hope that this will bring down prices. That was Bertin Martens, former European Commission senior economist and visiting fellow at Bruegel on the EU digital regulation landscape. He explains that the world's biggest technology companies are facing a new challenge of their market dominance to date. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Rebecca Christie, Europe columnist at Reuters Breaking Views. This week, I'm joined by Bertin Martens, former senior economist at the European Commission's Joint Research Center and visiting fellow at the Brussels-based Bruegel Think Tank, where I am also a research fellow. He has spent more than a decade evaluating the digital economy, including e-commerce, data markets, and regulation of online platforms. He explains how the European Union is trying to rein in tech titans like Alphabet, Apple, Amazon, Meta, and Microsoft, even if it is not yet clear how much those efforts will change the digital landscape. Listen on to hear our conversation. Hello, welcome to The Exchange. Such a delight to have you on the podcast today. We'd like to start out by setting the scene for our listeners. Europe is doing so much in the area of digital regulation. Can you walk us through what's happening and how it fits in with the global picture? There is indeed a lot happening in terms of global digital regulation in Europe, uh, especially the current European Commission, presided by Ursula von der Leyen, has been extremely active over the last couple of years, much more so than its predecessors. Um, there has been a flurry of regulations in, in terms of access to data. Uh, that's an imp one important component. The other important part that I would point out is platform regulation, big platforms regulation. We are not talking about small startups here. We are talking about the Googles and Amazons and Metas of this world. And there we have had two pieces of regulation. One is called the Digital Markets Act, which is essentially a piece of a competition policy, competition policy instruments that seek to rein in the market power of these huge so-called gatekeeper platforms. And on the other hand, we've had a Digital Services Act that also looks at very large online platforms, but mostly in social media, to some extent also in e-commerce, and wants to impose more restrictions on them in terms of what they can do in terms of legal content. That means discriminatory content, avoiding discriminatory content, but also avoiding things like pirated content or content that violates trademarks and so on. Um, so where should we start? <laughs> is one of these really the warhorse of what the EU is doing or are they all important and on their own track? In addition to the two pieces of legislation you've mentioned, there are many, many other regulations working their way through the pipeline, guidelines mm -hmm. on data use. Like, how do we how do we make sense? Yeah, 
I think all these pieces fit together to some extent because they are the world's and Europe's somewhat perhaps some people would say belated response to the fast growing exponentially growing power of uh, big data platforms big online platforms uh, in terms of access to data and what they do with our data or what they do with business users data for that matter but also in terms of their their market power and and the things that are considered not to be very appropriate behavior by these platforms. So they all fit together. Um, maybe let's start with the Digital Markets Act, because that's probably the one thing that's on most people's mind, because it will affect over the next couple of years and even the next six months, uh, the behavior of platforms like Google, Meta, Amazon, Microsoft, and so on. Uh, what the Digital Markets Act says is, you big platforms, you have a number of practices and behaviors that are unacceptable to us. Like, for example, Apple, you have the iPhone and you offer one single app store, uh, the Apple App Store, and users always have to go through that app store uh, to download an app on their phone. And the developers of that app pay through their noses to get that app in that app store. And when users start using it and subscribing and buying things on the app, they have to pay more. They pay 30% of their revenue on that app. And that goes to Google. And this is considered to be- You mean to um, Apple, right? For the iPhone, it to, goes to, to Apple. Apple. Sorry, yes, to Apple. Um, this is considered to be a monopoly price and people don't like monopolistic prices. We want competitive prices. We think that Apple makes a killing on this 30% fee and that this should go down, way, way down, 10%, 5%, even lower perhaps. Um, the way the commission proposes to do that is by saying, we open competition between app stores and Apple, you are forced to allow other app stores in your iPhone ecosystem so that people can download apps through other app stores and they will compete with each other and we hope that this will bring down prices. So we could in theory have the Google Android app store on an iPhone and we could have the Apple app store on an Android phone. Is the software there for that? Well, Google Android already has such a system. On Android, you most people use the Google Play Store, of course, but Google allows downloading apps from other stores. Um, sometimes that is used, but very few people actually use that. So although the possibility exists, it's not, it's rarely used. And the reason why is very simple to explain. You go to the Google Play Store and you find virtually everything you can think of in terms of apps. So why go elsewhere to a smaller store that has only a much smaller catalog and where you will waste your time looking for something? Simply go to Google Play. So I personally think the same is going to happen with Apple, even if it would open access to its stores, uh, to other app stores for the iPhone. However, there are some big players lurking around the corner and waiting for the moment to intervene here. You have big um, uh, game developers. And the gaming industry is probably the most profitable thing to do on, on a phone. 
um, the gaming industry is probably two thirds of the iPhone App Store revenue, and similarly for the Google Android, uh, Google Play uh, App Store, most of these stores make most of their revenues from games, and especially the in-app purchases of characters and tools and what have you that you can buy in these games. Uh, right, which Apple famously takes a big cut of. Yes, 30%. So like Google, no difference. Um, some of these big game developers have said, we want to put an end to that. We don't want to pay all that money to Apple or Google. Uh, we want to open our own app store. And they, of course, have large masses of hundreds of millions of consumers who play those games. And they may be in a position to compete with the Apple App Store or with the Google Android Store for that matter. But I think most smaller game developers, almost smaller app developers for that matter, will not be in a position to compete and that will make it very difficult. So the jury is out on even if these obligations are going to be implemented by Apple, what real changes that will bring into the market. We'll have to wait and see. The commission two weeks ago designated companies like Apple, Google, and Meta as gatekeepers, and they now get six months to implement these obligations. So by March next year, app stores should be widely available for anybody having an iPhone. We'll see what difference that makes. I'm impressed that you've come up with an example of where there are entrants ready, willing, and with the resources to compete in yeah. these areas. One of the criticisms we hear of this gatekeeper's designation is that it's a transparency situation rather than an, a regulatory or competitive situation. The commission isn't proposing to break people up. It's not proposing yeah. to take things away from them. It's just saying you have to explain why you're doing what you're doing and show that at least in theory someone could compete with you but if in reality you just have a bunch of things that the consumer has to click to show that they've had a official choice even if there wasn't a choice because of the way people use technology i wonder how much it's really going to do besides run up paperwork and compliance costs yeah there are some people who argue what the commission wants to do is simply create transparency and create choice, even if people don't use that choice. I would say that's a rather narrow legal view on this whole regulatory effort. I think what the commission wants and what many people want is actually a change in the competitive landscape of these uh, online platforms and really create effective competition there. Uh, whether they will succeed or not is still an open question for me. When you look at the obligations in this uh, Digital Markets Act, what it actually is, it's a catalogue of past competition cases that the Commission was unable to push forward. And by consolidating all these unwon battles in a regulation of force of law, they hope it will finally bring about change. We'll Do see. they have any any court losses or major defeats that they have to circumvent with this? Yeah, so there are several even ongoing cases still. Um, and also cases, parallel cases ongoing in the US, for example, there is the US Department of Justice started a case against Google advertising on Google search. 
and claims that Google has this monopoly or, or and that even for advertising outside Google search, Google still has a strong market position there and it abuses that market position to create all kinds of distortions in the market, push up the price of advertising and, and make it uninteresting for advertising, very costly for advertisers. So there the case would be trying to break it up or at least force Google to divest that um, part of its advertising business, which would be a, quite a big deal. In Europe, there is a parallel case ongoing where the Commission is treading very carefully, wait and see what's going to happen with the Department of Justice in the US courts. In the UK, similar situation. UK Competition Authority has started a similar case against Google, but also in a wait and see position. Everybody is waiting for what's going to happen in the US. So whether this will actually be enforced and to what extent remains to be seen, I think. Um, that's a very rosy view of cooperation between US and European regulators, even if it's just one watching the other to constructively work with whatever happens. I mean, isn't I, there... <laughs> if, if I may use a term from competition policy, I would say it's tacit collusion between regulators. <laughs> but that's fascinating because there's also a narrative of the EU taking this tough line in part because there aren't really any European champions among the big platformers. Yes, of course. And that made it easy for Europe to push through this reg regulation. No European politician was going to stand up to defend these American platforms. So that was an easy win for the Commission. But it's a totally different thing going with that to the European Court of Justice and saying, this is what I want to do. These judges are not impressed by whether these are American or European or Chinese or whatever platforms. They will apply the law. And there's a big debate going to start there very soon. In prior rounds of Europe versus outside big tech, we saw these tax cases and state aid cases where they tried to show that there were was preferential treatment going on. They did not go so well in the courts. Mm -hmm. Can we expect to see different outcomes in the Digital Services Act challenges and presumably the Digital Markets Act challenges that will be coming? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm regularly talking to competition lawyers. Um, well, the saying is that when you talk to two economists, you get at least four opinions. When you talk to two competition lawyers, you get at least eight opinions. So uh, the jury is out and opinions are very divided on this. Um, there's also the case that normally in competition cases, the European Commission has the authority all over Europe to decide on cases or at least to propose a decision. However, here with the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act, there are some shared competencies with member states, and that complicates matters further. Uh, a member state may have a different opinion from what Brussels says on a particular case. So how that is going to play out in courts uh, is another complicating factor. Um, there's also what we call the so-called Brussels effect. Um, the Brussels actually is known that um, Brussels declares a rule and then gradually, hesitatingly, other countries and regions in the world admit that this is not a bad thing to do. 
and start to ad adopt similar rules and implement similar regulations. Will this happen also with these digital markets regulations? Could, could, could happen. Um, and there the US is somewhat in a wait and see position because there are similar proposals to the European Digital Markets Act circulating in US Congress. And it's one of the rare areas, I think, in US Congress where there is at least some degree of bipartisan support for these cases. Still, what can however, we learn? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go on. No, still, however, they haven't made it through Congress yet. So yeah. I think the, the Americans are also a bit wait and see position to see what's going to happen in Europe on this before they decide to move forward. What can we learn from Europe's general data protection? regulation, the GDPR. My sense is that in Europe, people like it because they like the right to be forgotten. They like some of the improvements on transparency and consent that it's brought. In the US, people think of it as the rule that makes all those dang cookie pop-ups. Mm. And there's a general feeling that it's a waste of time and coding compliance. Are there lessons to be learned from that? Yeah. Uh, first of all, the GDPR has a strong Brussels effect in the sense that many other countries all over the world have adopted similar regulation. Even the US, in California at least, through the California Consumer Protection Act, has very similar provisions. It is true that this gives you a forest of cookies uh, popping up on your screen all the time and uh, request for consent. And that is basically, the, I think, the Achilles heel of the GDPR. People click just on these pop-up notices just to get rid of them because they are an irritant rather than a useful tool to manage your data privacy. Uh, and that is where the GDPR fails and where I think uh, European regulators will have to make an additional effort to make to make this a more meaningful thing. And there's thinking going on in that direction to automate these cookie tools to automate consent. Big companies like Apple and Google uh, are trying to get rid of these cookies on their browsers and saying, oh, we have found a solution to privacy protection. We will collect all the data and no longer allow cookies on our browser. And if you want the data, then you can come to us and we'll sell them to you and we'll protect the privacy of consumers because we don't give you consumers personal private data. We give you an aggregate data set that covers many consumers. This is okay. a great segue into talking about all of the many other EU regulations that are attempting to handle this data and portability and what's yours, what can you yeah. see, what can they aggregate, who can make money. How do we make sense of this set of regulations? Yeah, there are a couple of those that have gone through the pipeline over the last two, three years. Uh, Probably the most important one of that in Europe is the so-called Data Act. The Data Act makes it possible for you to access non-personal data on your computer, or all kinds of home devices, uh, in your car, wherever. So that was meant also to to allow people to finally get access to all the, the billions of data points that all these devices collect. But on the other hand, there are so many restrictions built into that data act that in my opinion, at least, this data act is not going to have much impact. Uh, for example, 
It says you can access data on your smart home devices. Your fridge collects your data and then sends it to Amazon to order new supplies. And you can download these data and do whatever you like with. But you can no longer transfer them to Amazon because Amazon is designated a gatekeeper under the Digital Markets Act and the data access. You cannot transfer data to gatekeepers under the Digital Markets Act. So people with smart fridges and an Amazon home system are stuck. Ah, you can tr transfer it to Google, but Google similarly is a gatekeeper. You cannot transfer the these data to Google either. So this creates upheaval in lots of uh, personal devices, home devices, industrial devices, markets. Uh, and so I think this data act uh, has 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 hit the ball in the wrong direction. So, but there are other things like the European health data space, which is a regulation that makes it possible for for individuals to carry their personal health data wherever they want to carry them to whichever hospital, medical service provider, or even across borders to other countries. It makes it also possible, and even more important, perhaps to pool all health data at national level in a big data pool that researchers can use to do research on all kinds of diseases, all kinds of medicine and pharmaceutical products to see how effective or ineffective they are. I think this is a great way, a great step forward to uh, increase innovation in health, in health services. What, uh, what are the risks that these different regulations will overlap, like in this example you gave with the Data Act, particularly in the field of competition. For example, you've got the gatekeepers uh, from DMA, the very large service providers from the DSA. You've also got some market dominance provisions in competition law. Yeah. How do, do they work together? Do they fight with each other? Do we know? This, this is the billion dollar question, I think, in data issues. Um, Question is, do we need all these different regulations on data? Or would it be enough to have one regulation that covers all these things? And again, that's a debate at the moment between regulators, lawyers, economists. Um, some say, yes, you need specific regulation for all these cases because the situation in each sector or domain is very different and requires specific interventions. Others would say, well, the type of market failures that you encounter in all these domains are very similar. So one package of regulation would be enough. Um, when you talk to industry people, they will complain about all these different regulations, very hard to follow, even for experts in this sector, it's very hard to follow. And they see lots of inconsistencies between these regulations. And it, it, will, it will be a boom period for lawyers but not for corporate executives who have to implement these regulations. So yes, there is an issue there. How do we think about artificial intelligence? Hmm. Um, until six months or a year ago, people were rather relaxed about this. They say, ah, we have artificial intelligence to recognize pictures, cameras in the streets to recognize faces. Okay, we need privacy protection on that. But artificial intelligence was limited in scope and application domains. With this new generation of generative AI, 
uh, these so-called large language models and all that. Uh, the power and the possibilities of AI has exponentially increased and is set to increase exponentially even further in the next couple of years. Uh, we ain't seen nothing yet, and we were already surprised by what we have seen so far. So the European Commission submitted an artificial intelligence regulation, the AI Act, to the European Parliament about a year ago. And then came this generative AI, and over the last couple of months, European parliamentarians have been scrambling to add new provisions to that AI Act that would also say something meaningful about this generative AI. Now, all this has to be done in a hurry, and it's not very clear what can be done or how this should be done. So there's a lot of debate still ongoing, and I think the parliament was right to somewhat delay the approval of that Artificial Intelligence Act in order to give itself some time to study this better and see whether something could be improved. Um, some provisions have been written down, some regulations have been written down. It's not clear whether this would make a substantial difference to the way these new AI models are going to develop. It certainly imposes administrative burdens on them and especially on small startups who have to document their systems, test their systems, explain their systems. And when I speak to AI startups also in Europe, they say, hmm, if this becomes slow in its current format, we will have a very hard time complying with this. Not that we don't want to comply, but it's just going to be very costly to comply and it will slow us down in our innovations. In the meantime, again, the big players like Amazon, Google, Meta have the resources to do the administrative compliance and they can happily develop their models further while we are bogged down in this administrative process. So this is really the, the tension, isn't it, in the tech industry is on the one hand, you want to encourage innovation. You want all these startups and people yeah. in the market. On the other hand, it's such a winner take all space. And the more regulation you have, only the people with deep pockets can afford to follow the rules. So as we close this podcast, any predictions on do these big companies get broken up? Do they get brought to heel like utilities? Do we just muddle through and do the best we can? Where are we going? Hmm, good question. Um, we are certainly trying to uh, corral them, uh, modify their behavior, trying to induce them to accept some improvements in their monopolistic behavior. How far we will succeed, I don't know. Uh, breaking up is not on the horizon as far as I can see at the moment. Uh, although, well, the Google advertising case, we'll see uh, whether that might go in that direction. Um, I think it is going to bite into some of these countries' business models, uh, com companies' business models. Uh, for example, again, when I think about the Apple App Store, uh, if its fees, its revenue fees will decline from 30 to even 15%, that's a big chunk out of Apple's revenue. So it may have a real impact on those companies. The others, uh, Amazon, Microsoft, 
Google may be true advertising, but I don't see very much of a dent in most of these companies' business models yet. Thank you so much. This has been fabulous. It's been wonderful having you on the exchange. Thank you for having me. Look forward to seeing you around town. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Taslick in London. Subscribe to The Exchange and our sister podcast, The Views Room, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Catch up with more of our views at breakingviews.com or on the X social media site, where our handle is at breakingviews. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of U.S. politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.